Good morning, church. In the movie, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yes, okay, a few of you are excited about that. Uh, it has been 30 years since the events of that original trilogy, you know, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Han Solo and all that. And uh, some new characters have come into the story, uh, a woman named Rey and a guy named Finn. And uh, they have found themselves aboard the Millennium Falcon, uh, which if you know the first trilogy, you know that belongs to Han Solo and his companion Chewbacca. And uh, Rey and Finn have not, uh, they've not seen what had happened in the first trilogy. They weren't there. So they, they've heard the stories, but they haven't been able to talk with anybody about them. And so Rey begins to talk to Han Solo about the events of those days. And let's play the clip. I wonder about that myself. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. Crazy thing is, it's true. All of it. Force, a Jedi. It's all true. When Ray asked that question, oh, so the Jedi were real, you can see her heart leap at the thought that these stories, these legends that she's heard, they actually happened. They were based in reality that were seen by Han Solo himself. And I, I always get goosebumps at that line when Han Solo, you, just, you can just feel his emotion. It's all true. It's all true. And this morning, as we begin a new sermon series, uh, it's called The Ancient Paths. We're going through the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. The Apostles' Creed is the church's oldest creed that's still in use today. It's, it's called the Apostles' Creed because there, the, the legend goes that each of the 12 apostles wrote a portion of it. That's not how it happened. But the church from the very beginning, if you remember the book of Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Because, after all, they knew Jesus Christ personally. They had walked with Him. They fished with Him. They heard His teaching. They got the inner explanations of His parables. They saw the miracles. They saw all that He had done, and they saw Him after His resurrection. And so, the apostles were crucial to setting the foundational beliefs and teaching of the church of Christ. And so, from the very beginning in Scripture itself, we see these summaries of the faith. Uh, that's what Betsy read for us this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, I'm passing on what was of first importance unto you. And so, this summary of the faith was further developed over the years into what we now have as the Apostles' Creed. Uh, there's also one other major creed. There's more than two, but the other major one is the Nicene Creed, which further develops the thought and teaching of the Apostles' Creed. So you may hear a reference to the Nicene Creed from time to time. But in the Apostles' Creed, we have the summary of what the church and the apostles taught. In it, we have their voice. Now, I want you to imagine that some people, actually, let's not imagine this actually happened. Some people had experiences uh, like Ray had when she met Han Solo. Imagine growing up in the 60s. Not the 1960s, because some of you remember that actually, in fact. I'm talking about A.D., 
60s. This is 30 years or so after the time of Jesus. And there are now people around, a new generation has come, come up who they, they are hearing about this man, Jesus, who's beginning to turn Jerusalem and the world upside down. And they hear legendary-like stories. And you can imagine someone, they're, they're living in Jerusalem, and by chance they meet the Apostle Peter. He's gotten older. He has gray in his beard. He has gray in his hair. He walks a little bit slower. And he mentions something to you about Jesus' resurrection. And excitedly, you ask, so, it's true. Jesus really did do all those things. He really did rise from the dead. And Peter looks at you, dead in the eyes, and he says, you know, I wasn't sure what the term Messiah meant. In fact, I, I denied Jesus three times because I was afraid of my, for my life. But all along, I knew the truth because I saw it with my own eyes. I was there. I saw him feed 5,000 people at one time with just a little bread and a little fish. I saw him heal a paralyzed man who couldn't walk. I saw him walk on water. I saw him die on that cross. I saw the tomb where he was, and I saw him come back to life in bodily form. All the stories you've heard, it's true. It's all true. Now, if Peter and John and the others had experiences like this, you would expect them to say this to people like, I saw this. I was there. And what's amazing is we actually have that for us written down in the Bible. Look at this scripture from 2 Peter. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter's looking at us in the eye. I was there. It's true. The Apostle John says much of the same thing in 1 John. He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. You can't get more sensory experience than that. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, as we enter another Advent and Christmas season, another, another cycle of hearing the stories of Jesus. And as we enter this new sermon series through the creed, we hear the voice of the apostles, Peter, James, John, Thomas, and the others. And they're telling us it's all true. And because this creed has been used for centuries, when we declare it, when you hear it, you are hearing the voice of centuries of saints, the well-known ones like Augustine and Luther and Wesley and Mother Teresa, but also unknown saints 
from every nation, from every geographic location, the saints that you know, your loved ones who are now uh, home with the Lord already, who recited this creed at their baptism, who recited it in worship from Sunday to Sunday, all those saints, they are proclaiming to us in one loud voice as a great cloud of witnesses that it's all true. And they're saying to you, and they're saying in one voice, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Friends, that's what we have in the Apostles' Creed. It's an amazing gift. And if that wasn't enough, why, why is the creed important? Because the reality is some Christians think that creeds are not important. Other Christians actually might go as far as to say that a creed might be harmful. You know, it could lead to some type of maybe rote or nominal Christianity. Uh, and indeed, just reciting the creed uh, does not make you a Christian. In some churches, you might have heard this, they'll say, well, you know, we have no creed but the Bible. We have no creed but the Bible. A few problems with that line of thinking. The first, that statement is a type of creed itself. Anytime you try to summarize what you believe or explain what you believe, that is a type of creed. Uh, secondly, the Bible contains examples of creeds. Betsy read for us that this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, passing on a summary of the faith. So creeds are biblical. We have them in the Bible. Thirdly, many groups claim to believe the Bible as well. Think about all of the Christian denominations that are out there. Uh, also, think about the groups that they say they believe the Bible, but we would consider them heretical, uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses or, or Mormonism. They also claim, claim to believe the Bible. So, it's not enough to simply say, we believe the Bible, because the Bible can be grossly misunderstood and distorted and twisted in all kinds of ways. The crux of the matter is what do you believe the Bible teaches? The Bible is God's Word, it's His authority, but what do you believe it says? What do you believe it tells us to believe? And our ancestors of the faith, they, they, they passed on uh, lots of very important things, but, but two I'll mention this morning. Uh, the church told us what books of the Bible are legitimate and which ones are not. That's called the canon of Scripture, right? So, not, not, not like the canons that you shoot, but the canon of Scripture. And Christ, Christians usually accept the Bible as it is in the books it contains. But friends, the Bible did not drop out of the sky from God, okay? The church had to discern which of all these books represent the teaching of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus Christ? And not all the books made it in. So, if you accept the Bible as it is, how can we not accept the other important thing the church bequeathed to us, which is the creed? The creeds, especially the apostles and the Nicene Creed, are the summary of what the Bible teaches in the faithful explanation of its doctrine. Jude writes in the New Testament, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. The creeds teach us what this faith is. 
the faith we believe and contend for. The Bible, it's God's Word. The Bible is our authority. It's the perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct, as we say. But sometimes, let's be honest, it's complex. It's a big library of books. Those of you taking uh, hermeneutics in Faith Academy, or maybe you've studied in, in, uh, at Wheaton College or other places, there's a lot of tools we need for interpretation. It's not always easy. easy. Sometimes it's like, man, you're like, you're like looking at it, you're like, what does this say? It just, gosh, you guys look blurry right now. But the creed, it's like you're looking at it and you, you, put, you put on some glasses. Oh, wow, there you are. The creed is like putting on a pair of theological glasses as you read the Bible. And if you put on the glasses of the creed as you interpret the Bible, you can't go wrong. Because then you'll see what the apostles taught. You'll see what the church has taught. So the creed helps us interpret the Bible. It guards against false teaching. The creed is really just the summary of the gospel. This is the good news of who God is and what He's done. And so it's also a spiritual formation tool. The church has often used it in the development of of converts to the faith and in confirmation and in other places. And actually, the creed is the perfect follow-up to the Ten Commandments. Martin Luther laid it out this way as well. Let's, Let's hear what he says about this. He says, so far we have heard the first part of Christian doctrine, the Ten Commandments. We have seen all that God wants us to do or not do. Now there properly follows the creed which sets forth to us everything that we must expect and receive from God. To state it quite briefly, the creed teaches us to know Him fully. This is intended to help us do what we ought to do according to the Ten Commandments. Then we may know how to attain what they command, both where and how to receive such power. In other words, the creed teaches us not just what the faith is, but how to grow in our faith because it teaches us who this God is and how we relate to Him and how we receive power and life from Him and the Holy Spirit. So over the next several months, we're going to be traveling down the well-worn paths, these ancient paths, the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to break it down this morning. We're just going to look at the very first part of the Creed, I believe in God. Let's look at I believe. It's fascinating that a creed of the church, of the body of Christ, of God's global and historic family, it does not say we, but it begins with I. This is similar to the Ten Commandments. If you remember, they're given to the whole people of God, but they were written in the second person uh, singular. You, yes, you shall not do this or that, although it's given to the whole people of God. Faith is at the same time intensely communal and intensely personal. The creed is not your own words. The creed is not our own words. We did not write the creed ourselves, but it is a creed of the church, yet it demands our personal response, our personal allegiance to this God, our personal assent to this teaching. It asks us, do you believe? What do you believe in? We believe in all kinds of things, don't we? I mean, we, we believe what people have told us about what's happened in the past, although we can't be there to verify it ourselves directly, but we have to believe kind of the records that have come to us through history. Uh, we, we believe that we're the children of our parents, though we weren't there to verify it. 
right? I mean, we, the world is built on this type of simple belief and trust with many things. So, how do we come to believe in the God Jesus reveals? We come to believe this because God wanted us to know Him. He chose to reveal who He is. Because God wanted us to know who He is. He revealed it. So, we don't come to this by our own reason. There's a paradox here I want to dive into a little bit. Christianity is both reasonable and very unreasonable at the same time. What I mean by that is our faith rests not upon our own ability to reason it, but on the solid rock of God's revelation. Karl Barth said that any time human beings have tried to think and describe who God is on their own, the result is always an idol. See, many people try to use reason and, and, and to figure out who God is, and apart from God's revelation, they come up with all kinds of ideas, all kinds of gods, but a lot of people in our culture come up with kind of a, a generic being, a generic God, uh, some type of higher power, a God of love, or, some, or something like that. Or, or maybe they believe God just has different faces and different names, but this is a God of our own reasoning. And this reasoned God of our imagination is not God. Again, Bart says, God is always the one who has made himself known to man in his own revelation, and not the one man thinks out for himself and describes as God. How have 2,000 years of Christians come to believe in this faith? Paul says, faith comes from hearing the word about Christ. There's a message, there is a revelation of Christ. Christ came, Christ revealed Himself, Christ revealed God, then you, someone reveals that to you. You hear about this message, and then what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives. And as that happens, once you begin to realize and accept that this is true, suddenly everything begins to make sense. You begin to step into the light, and you understand why you exist, why you're alive why there is sin and suffering, why there is forgiveness, why a new world is coming, why a Savior was needed. This is what I mean when I say Christianity is reasonable. It illumines our reasoning. It illumines our logic. It helps us understand the world, yet we could not come up with it ourselves. We cannot get there by ourselves. God reveals it. C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. We begin to see the truth of Jesus, and as we step into that light, we begin to see the reality of our existence. God desired to reveal Himself. Isn't that amazing? God did not want to be God in secret. He did not want to be God all by Himself. He wanted us to know who He is. He came into our world to reveal Himself. The Bible says God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, the truth of His existence and who we are. So, Christians, we believe in something that is true, something that is based in history, something that is fact. It is knowledge. Again, Bart, who's so good on the, uh, on the creed, 
He says, faith is not an opinion replaceable by another opinion. Christianity is a claim to be true, a claim to be the fact of reality. Uh, It's not the reasonings, it's not the imaginations, it's not the opinions of humanity. And so, what you believe about your faith is not something that you should just say, well, this is just my personal opinion. That's just, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. That's not what Christianity is, although we want humility, right? But we claim that this is true, that this is who God is, that all this stuff really happened. I believe that this is true, that God came into our world, and it is all true. It's a reality we choose to believe in, and we either accept that or we don't. Now, the Bible says also have mercy on those who doubt. Doubt is a part of life. Doubt is a part of the Christian life. I've experienced doubt at many times. The Bible is filled with psalms of all kinds of doubt of God. Where are you? Yet they keep coming to God with those doubts, don't they? Remember the man who cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? The Lord is merciful to us when we come to Him with our doubts. But also, I would invite you to not be too, tr- too troubled by your doubts and also to doubt your doubts. Why do you trust that the reasoning of your doubts is, is, is so truthful? You know, our faith is based on something solid. Theology, I've heard theology described as it's faith seeking understanding. It begins with faith. It begins as I'm accepting this as true. I may not understand it all yet. I certainly don't understand it all yet, but I believe now, Lord, help me come to understand my existence and who you are. But the first step is to say, you know what, despite it all, despite everything, I believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and so on. So the first step is I believe. Secondly, we're saying in God. The first commandment was you shall have no other gods before me. The second was to not make any idols or images of God, right? Uh, So the question is, well, who is this God that we're called to worship, we're commanded to worship? And the creed helps us live out those first two commandments. Who is the God in whom we are to believe and worship? And here, you just really have to say what the rest of the creed says. That's who God is. We do not believe in attributes, okay? You know what? You know, people say, I believe, I believe in a God, a, a higher power, a powerful God, or I, I believe in a God of love. We don't know what power or love are apart from God's revelation in Christ. These are our own reasonings we impose upon these words. And so, we rem- fr- friends, remember, God has revealed Himself not as a systematic theology, He has not revealed Himself as a set of ideas, though we have these propositions in the creed which help us describe it. But God revealed Himself in history. He made us. He called Abraham. He redeemed people of the first covenant. He came to us in Jesus Christ. This is a a God with a a clear identity and history. And so, He's he's not simply the the ground of all being. He's he's not simply the the energy or the force behind, behind all of life, as much as we love Star Wars. No, but He's a God with a history. He's a God with an identity. 
So we know God because what He has done to reveal Himself in history, especially through the Lord Jesus Christ. When a Christian says, I believe in God, what we mean is, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the God Jesus is and that Jesus revealed to us. Or you could do well to go with Martin Luther's summary of the creed when he says, I believe in God the Father who has created me. I believe in God the Son who has redeemed me. I believe in the Holy Spirit who sanctifies me. One God and one faith, but three persons. There it is. That's the summary. Friends, God is actually the most important thing about the creed, if I can put it that way. Uh, Bart said, everything in the creed depends on the word in. It's everything after that that's what matters most. The most important thing about the creed is not my subjective faith I might have. My faith may feel weak at times. It may waffle, but the object of my faith is solid. The object of our faith is what matters most. I remember when I was in junior high, when I was going through the confirmation class, Cole, when I was being confirmed in Sophia and all my other students, when I was that age, my church took a, a trip uh, out to Colorado uh, for some rock climbing, whitewater rafting, and it was, it was really exciting. Uh, and we get to the rock climbing station, and I tell you what, I was terrified. I was terrified of rock climbing. Now, you have to understand, I grew up in Michigan, uh, and this is the first time that I had ever, had ever seen a real mountain. I had, I had never been around mountains before. It was, it was amazing, but it also, like, terrified me. And so I was debating whether I was going to go rock climbing or not, and I see some of my other friends are doing it, and, and uh, the, the staff who was there, the people who were belaying us, right, uh, they explained to me many times, look, just, just look at how this works. You got the carabiners, you get tied in, you're connected to me, and I, I'm, I'm a lot stronger than you, I weigh a lot, a lot more than you, 13-year-old Nate, and uh, they're, they're going to, I'm going to be here, and if, if you fall even for a second, if you want to, I'm not even going to let you move. You're just going to come off that wall, and you're going to sit back, and you're going to be just fine. Now, that did not really allay my fears, but it was enough for me to give it a try. And so scared and terrified, I started climbing that rock. I made it up to the top. By the grace of God, I, kneeled, I went backwards and started repelling. It was amazing, but I was still terrified the entire time. What's important in that story was not so much my subjective ability to climb this rock, the, my, my faith that I would be safe, but the objective reality that those who were there would hold me and that I would be fine and that I would be safe and that that was true. And it's the same way with believing in God. It's not so much that you have to have the strongest faith, that you have to know all the finer points of theology because you don't. It's not that you have to be able to live up to all God's commands because you don't. It's because you trust in the one who is faithful, the one who is really God, the one who really sent his son to die for you and redeem you. And if you trust in him, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter how strong or weak your faith might be, you're not going to go anywhere. You're trusting in the rock of Christ. It's not your subjective faith that matters so much, though it does matter. 
It's the object of your faith, what you put your faith in. I may be weak, but God is strong. I believe in God. When you say that, we don't just say that intellectually. The creed is a type of pledge of allegiance to God alone because the word belief changes in meaning depending on what you believe in. You know, if I believe that that chair will hold, will hold me, all I have to do is sit in it. When I believe, despite my fears, that those, those belaying me would hold me, I just had to climb a rock. It was difficult, but it was over in 20 minutes. When you say you believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, Oh, what that means, you can't believe that without surrendering. You can't believe in that unless you give your life to it, because that's everything. That's the reality of this world. It demands our allegiance. Faith is stepping out of being neutral about God. It's stepping out of lukewarmness. It's stepping out of uh, all of of the things that might hold us back from Him. Despite everything else, despite all of the brokenness, all the chaos of this world, we say, I believe. I believe you, God. I believe you came to save this world. I believe you will come again to judge and make all things right. And as you do that, as you declare with your heart, declare with your voice, declare with your life, as you declare that creed, you join that great chorus that great cloud of witnesses, all the saints of history, you add your voice to them who are all saying, I believe.